evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable, because this is Graveyard Tales. Right, Matt, how you doing tonight? Man, I am good. It's warm outside. It's staying light a lot longer. Yeah. I like it. I'm I'm digging it. I'm digging it. The only thing I'm not digging is I have been sick as a dog for <laughs> yeah. like two days. You know, and so y'all can probably hear it in my voice, and I apologize for that. It's not that same mozo profundo that you're used to, but uh, I feel like a crusty donkey butt, so... <laughs> I'll be doing good to get through this show, but the show must go on. Man, you didn't take your crusty donkey butt shot this year? No, I didn't. I didn't. I missed that line. Uh, what did they say? I was behind the door when the, uh, when they were giving out those crusty donkey butt shots or something. I think I did a shot one time that was called a crusty donkey butt. Yeah. I, it had it had rumple mints in it. Yeah, that was down here in downtown, wasn't it? I oh, think yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, I passed that one up. <laughs> Some some chick with no teeth tried to hand it to me, and I was like, no, thanks. If it does that to you, I'm not doing it. $12 a shot, and you won't walk out of here. <laughs> right. Somebody will carry you out of here. So a few things before we get started. Uh, we just started up our Patreon page, so go check it out. Um, we're going to load up some bonus episodes on there and some other perks for you guys. So go check it out. Check out our different donation levels and all that and see what you get for each one think it's kind of cool y'all y'all should like it um but go give us uh go give us a look see over there yeah check it out we uh we'd really appreciate it and you know this is just uh just a way that uh you can support the show and get some uh some cool extra extra stuff some perks some things like that right it's all explained on the on the site we're not going to go into it right now but you go check it out and uh, and Adam and I would really appreciate it. Right. And I'll put a link in the show description so you can just click on that and have an easy jump over there. Um, another thing is we have finally, we've been talking about it a few times, but we finally got our book club page up on the website. So every month, Matt and I are going to pick a, a different book and we'll put it up there, one that we like or that we feel is relevant to the show or, you know, just one that we find fun and interesting may have nothing to do with Graveyard Tales, but it's a book that we like. Um, so we got April's up there. So go check out April's. I'm not going to tell you what it is because you need to go over and check the site out. Yeah. I picked the Clockwork Orange and I was voted down yeah. for some reason. Well, you know, I, I wanted to get that uh, that penthouse forums in there before you <laughs> Clockwork Orange. So, um. But we're also another thing that we are working on is we are in talks with Jerry over at Hillbilly Horror Stories about doing a live event here in Nashville in October. Yep. Um, we're working out the specifics of the dates and all that. So we'll let y'all know when we finalize some stuff. But we wanted to kind of give you all a teaser about it. We are really looking forward to that and think it's going to be quite fun. Um, so, you know, keep your eyes on our Facebook page or on the website or on Hillbilly Horror Stories, and they will, we or they will post updates for it. Right, and uh, should be a lot of fun. We're we're pretty excited about it, and you get a chance to look at uh, Adam and um, my ugly mug. Yeah, you and, know. Uh, see, see how ridiculous we are when we're doing this. Right. It'll it's be all fun. fun, yeah. yeah. Um, we'll have to get over our 
being in front of people thing you know we we can do it behind a mic all day but it's been several years since i've been on a stage in front of anybody yeah and the last time i was i had a guitar in my hand so that was like a security blanket it, yeah I, now i'm just gonna feel naked adam so. will be like elvis he'll have to sing everything he says yeah so, so come on down to the graveyard all right i'm not doing that my voice is wrecked <laughs> sorry that sounded just like a commercial they used to run for an old restaurant bar in Nashville. <laughs> I missed that one, apparently. Yeah. Um, another thing we wanted to talk about is Art Bell. And I know some of y'all who are in the genre that we're in, y'all know that Art Bell passed away on Friday the 13th. And, you know, it, it was a sad day for all of us in the paranormal community and this little niche of the world because he was one of the guys that lit the torch in order for us to be able to do what we do today. Um, the world is a little bit dimmer without him in it, and we're going to do our best to carry that torch along with the other podcasts and the other, the other people in this community that are carrying on what he started. You know, we're going to do our best to carry that on for you guys and to kind of keep art alive in our research and what we present to y'all when uh when i was in high school way back way back when let's not talk about how long ago (laughs) yeah i used to uh i used to listen to to art show every night coast to coast was on my radio and i would just just turn it on and, and and lay in the bed till i went to sleep listening to some of the the stories and and the uh the, the the different interviews and, and everything. And to me, it was just, it was amazing because in my head, I pictured this guy out in the desert broadcasting to everyone and possibly no one. Just, I'm going to do this on my own. This is what interests me. And I'm going to put this out there for, for people to listen to and enjoy and interact and there were millions of people that listened to this right. show that, that were interested in that, you know, and I, it was one o'clock in the morning. Yeah. I'm, I'm listening to this show just enthralled by the subject matter because at the time there just, there, there wasn't a lot of that out right. there. I Nobody mean, really wanted to touch on that. You yeah. Know, it was, it was too fringy or too out there for people to even consider. And, you know, he was one of those that said, no, now, you're going to think about it. We're going to talk about it. We're going to discuss it. And, you know, like we try to do, we try to get it a place for you guys to share your stories and to feel comfortable sharing your stories. Right. You know, I was talking to um, one of our listeners on Twitter the other day about, you know, the graveyard is a safe space for all your weirdness. And we're not going to judge you. And we're not going to let anybody in the graveyard judge you. And I don't think any of our listeners would, you know, no. but he was one of the ones that started that and started the place for people to feel comfortable telling their run in with a dog man or, you know, the time they, they had the Jersey devil at their window or something that nobody really wanted to listen to at the time. Right. And, you know, without art, um, podcasts like ours and all the other ones that we listen to and that we look up to, and everything wouldn't have had the shot to get started. So it's, you know, a, a grim time for us, but in his memory, we'll keep plugging away. That's right. Well said. 
Thank you. Um, so we're going to take, go ahead and jump into our potty break because Adam needs to blow his nose so we can get through the rest of this. So we're going to take a quick potty break and we're going to hear from Monsters Among Us and California Dreaming. In the shadowed recesses of our world, monsters lurk. Beasts from a bygone era, obscured by the thickest forests, deepest oceans, and darkest corners. Despite our reluctance to find them, an unlucky few cross paths. It's these experiences that we explore at Monsters Among Us podcast. My name is Derek Hayes, your faithful host and guide. Each week I explore calls from around the world detailing chilling encounters with mystery beasts, ghosts, UFOs, and a plethora of other strange happenings. You can find Monsters Among Us podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and most other podcatchers. Beware, there truly are monsters among us. Hi, I'm Roseanne, host of the California Dreaming Podcast, a show that delves into the darker side of the not-so-golden state. Together, we will visit some of the most unhinged and chilling crimes that ever shook California and beyond. Join me as I take you on a journey into a new story each week with a different backdrop from all around California, from the bright lights and glamour of Hollywood to the picturesque and tranquil wine country. No crime, no town, nobody is off limits. Listen to California Dreaming on the Orbital Jigsaw Network or anywhere you listen to podcasts. All right, Matt. So let's get into it tonight. What are we talking about tonight? Tonight, we are going to be discussing the Wendigo. And if you've never heard of the Wendigo, um, real briefly, it's it has roots in uh, Native American folklore. Uh, and it's pretty scary. Yes, it is. Um, Basil Johnston, who is a, a Canadian and uh, Ojibwe uh, storyteller, writer, teacher. He has a quote about uh, about the Wendigo. The Wendigo was gaunt to the point of emaciation. Its desiccated skin pulled tightly over its bones. With its bones pushing out against its skin, its complexion the ash gray of death, and its eyes pushed back deep into their sockets. The Wendigo looked like a, ja- a gaunt skeleton, recently disinterred from the grave. What lips it had were tattered and bloody, unclean and suffering from separations of the flesh. The Wendigo gave off a strange and eerie odor of decay, decomposition of death, and corruption. It's not something you want to run into. <laughs> no way. All right, so basically. A Wendigo is an anthropophagic being, and now we're done. Let's end the show, and I can go lay down. Now, Merriam-Webster, yes. tell us what that word means. Okay, anthropophagic <laughs> is basically a $20 word oh, yeah. for cannibalistic. And um, I, I can't take credit for finding that word. I actually heard it in a Linda Godfrey book, and ah. I was like, okay, so I'm using this. So, so. You, you've got the... Uh, Linda Godfrey word of the day calendar. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. I'm going to start that. And that would be cool. If she, if she don't have it, she needs it. April's word of the day is anthropophagic. All right. So 
Now, like Matt said, it's it's been in a lot of Native American um, legends and everything, and it, it's from all of North America. You know, it, it ranges from the uppermost of the mainland states into Canada. Yeah, Great Lakes region. Right, right. And so the Algonquin and the Ojibwe are the two largest uh, cultures that have this in their legends. So the Algonquin legend describes the creature as a giant with a heart of ice. Sometimes it is thought to be entirely made of ice. Its body is skeletal and deformed, and it's missing lips and toes. Now, the Ojibwe describe it as it was a large creature, as tall as a tree, with a lipless mouth and jagged teeth. Its breath was a strange hiss, its footprints full of blood, and it ate any man, woman, or child who ventured into its territory. And those were the lucky ones. Sometimes the Wendigo chose to possess a person instead. And then the luckless individual became a Wendigo himself, hunting down those he had once loved and feasting upon their flesh. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of different descriptions of what a Wendigo would look like. And as we go through night, that's going to become more evident as to why there are so many different descriptions. I mean, you, you could use that to discredit that this thing is is real. Right. You know, because the descriptions vary so much, but there's reasons for that. Right. Um, one thing I found was interesting is that they all say it has an extremely long tongue. So, you know, it's Gene Simmons. Right. right. <laughs> I was going to make a joke about me being a Wendigo, but I, we'll just leave that for maybe a bonus episode. I was going to say, yeah. So. Okay, so depending on where you were located within North America, the Wendigo could be described quite differently, like Matt was saying. But it was always described as being cannibalistic. Now, some would dis- some would describe the Wendigo as a completely dark and evil spirit without form, and it was the complete opposite of all things good in the world. It was placed directly on Earth by the Creator, just as all other creatures were. Now, another description says that the Wendigo is this huge, gigantic skeleton, upwards of 20 foot tall, that's entirely made of ice and snow. It has bones made of flexible ice and stands higher than the treetops. And you'll often hear this type of Wendigo described as like the spirit of the north Mm -hmm. or the spirit of ice or something along those lines. So, you know, it kind of stands to reason you know, that they would call it that being that it's completely made of ice and snow. And if you're a a Game of Thrones fan, Mm -hmm. doesn't this sound pretty familiar? Yeah. Yeah, it sure does. I mean, it, that, that description sounds like a white Walker. Right. And I'm pretty sure that the Game of Thrones people probably dove a little bit into this and, and pulled some pieces from this. But yet another description claims that the creature is reminiscent of a walking corpse. It has sickly yellow skin covered in patches of fur, long fingers, spots of long stringy hair, and noticeable bones underneath. It sometimes was described as having bone-like horns upon its head as well. So it basically just an emaciated, like, goblin-type look to it. 
you know, or even yeah, the horns are or even antlers, right? Like a head of a deer. Yep, there uh, a lot of drawings or paintings that you see of the Wendigo are with a deer skull. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there is a painting on deviant art that I found that I really wanted to use, but we can't because it's deviant art copyright. Um, but go to deviant art and search Wendigo, and you'll see it one of the first ones that pop up but it is of a wendigo with a deer skull big antlers and it's got native american tribal painting on the skull feathers hanging off the skull so it's it's a really really good drawing and i I really like it you know and it just shows that in that region where that wendigo was witnessed or was thought up that that is the way they think of it in their mind as a skeletal figure and you know yet again just another way to describe uh the wendigo now the final and the most recognizable version of the wendigo is very human looking in appearance except for some more monstrous traits it had arms that appear to be a little too long for its body which connected to hands adorned with really long claws It's missing its lips, which more clearly show off a mouthful of jagged teeth and fangs. Its tongue is long and like that of a dog. Its eyes were sunk deep in in its skull. It was always naked and covered in dead plant material from the swamps. Its eyes were red and glowed like a dying fire. Its heart was made of ice and it pumped ice through its veins. When you looked upon this version of the Wendigo, it meant instant death for the unfortunate soul who looked upon it. The most tribal stories that would speak of a Wendigo talked about how it had this never-ending hunger for human flesh, and the more it consumed, the larger the mm-hmm. Wendigo got. And in turn, the more it needed to eat. Right. So it was this never-ending cycle of eats a human, gets bigger, Needs to eat two humans now, gets bigger, now it needs to eat three humans. And it was just this never-ending beast with a voracious appetite. And as it became more powerful, the monster could begin to influence people with its voice, almost hypnotizing them to come to it. Now, the creature could send its voice on the wind through the woods and to the ears of any man or woman within those woods. The unfortunate victim would follow the call of the Wendigo right into its trap, and then it would become food for its insatiable appetite, as we talked about. Along with the power of a hypnotic voice, the Wendigo could also perfectly mimic human speech. So with this ability, the monster could lure an unsuspecting victim into the woods, and they would believe that it was the voice of a friend or a loved one. So it could be out in the woods and you would hear your grandmother calling to you. So you would go to find your grandmother in the woods, but it was actually this Wendigo that was luring you into a trap. This deception meant that you died because of your loyalty to family or friends. So it it was, you know, a very devious way of trapping and killing. Yeah. And these kind of stories and... When you look into the folklore of the Wendigo and the stories surrounding it, it it really 
it really sounds like a warning. You know, this is why you you don't eat another human's flesh. This is the evil that comes from that. Right. You know, so and and a lot of stories, you know, historically they speak a message of a warning against behavior. Right. You know, you don't do this because this thing will get you. Right. You don't do that because that thing is going to get you. We've talked about that before in some other like haunted areas right. where you've got the stories of this lake is haunted. And mm-hmm. if you get near it, the souls will pull you into your death. Right. You know, it, it's a, I, I guess we would call them like a wives tale to keep children away from something or to teach a lesson. But the the stories that Matt's talking about, they claim that the creature is most powerful during the winter months because at this time, food becomes really scarce. So it's driving that need for possible cannibalism, like Matt said, even higher. And this leads us into how does one become a Wendigo? So there's a few different ways. And as with the appearance of a Wendigo, the ways you become a Wendigo kind of differ a little bit depending on where you're from. Some of them have more of a spiritual message, like Matt was saying. Some of them are more physical, and it it's pretty interesting, actually. So it's commonly believed that if anyone, no matter how desperate the food situation has become, were to resort to giving in to the act of cannibalism, that person would begin to transform into the creature that is known as a Wendigo. Now, the first taste of human flesh would take them down a path of insatiable hunger and a constant desire to eat the meat of humankind. It's this reason why many believe that in a situation that resulted in starvation, it would actually be more honorable for you to kill yourself rather than to become the monster. So if you're in a situation where you're trapped with buddies out in the woods and your buddy dies and you're starving to death and you think, okay, I've got two options. I either die or I eat him to stay alive. The more honorable thing to do would be to either starve to death or kill yourself rather than eat him and run the risk of becoming a Wendigo. Yeah, because cannibalism was, and and maybe still is, widely considered, you know, the most evil act a human could a do taboo, to another. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and we know scientifically that it's physically harmful, right, for one human to consume the flesh of another. There's a lot of medical correct things that happen when you do that. Yeah. So it, it's not a warning you know, without merit. Right. Right. You know, and instead of just saying, you'll get pretty sick if you eat the flesh of another person, you know, why not develop a story that scares you into not doing it? Right. There are um, a lot of things in, and this very tangential to what we're talking about, but it kind of applies. There's a lot of stories in ancient lore that have that deep meaning. And the reason is because if you if you look back at 
cultures that didn't have a writing system or didn't have a generic writing system for all of the different tribes across the area, then what is a way that you pass along this knowledge of, you know, you don't eat human flesh or this one berry is very poisonous, so you don't eat this one berry. The way you do that is through oral uh, oral stories and telling people everything. Well, if you're having to pass down these things through memory, then the wilder the story you can make it, the larger, the grander the story can be, the more likely you are to remember it. Right. You're not going to remember, you know, little red berry with a stem on the top. Don't eat that one, but eat the little red berry that's accompanied by a blueberry. You know, you'll, you would say something like the berry that looks like the devil's eye. Don't eat that berry because you'll turn into a devil or a demon and children. And from the time they could understand you would go, I'm not eating that. I don't want to become a demon. Well, it's the same reason why most people will remember um, red on black, venom lack, red on yellow, kill a fellow. Right. It's a rhyme and it's, it's cutesy and you can remember it. But if you live in an area that coral snakes are, Mm -hmm. are common, you know that and you know it very well. And you know the difference between a coral snake and a striped king snake. Right. You know, so that you can tell this one's not going to hurt me. This one could kill me in five minutes. Right. And if you just if you just said gave a, a quick visual description and said, don't touch that, you're not going to remember yeah. that. Yeah. You, here's here's a picture of this snake. Don't mess with it. Uh, OK, yeah. I'm looking at a striped snake. How how do I know? Is it is it dangerous? Right. Is it not? Yeah. And it's like I just got bit by this snake. Am I OK or do I need to ru- rush to the hospital? Right. You know, right. well. If you didn't have that little mnemonic device to remember it, exactly, you'd be screwed, you know. So that's why, you know, I'm going to start developing things like that for around the house. You know, <laughs> whenever um, Ashley comes up and has her son with her, I'm going to start doing that around the house. You know, stuff like if you break one of Adam's skulls, it will turn you into a skeleton creature and you're doomed to roam the house th- the rest of your life, you know. Rather than if you break one of the skulls, Adam's going to hang you up by your toes. <laughs> don't, you know. but don't make it too cool. Well, that's true. <laughs> Crap. I got to make it something he won't, he won't like. Cause yeah. he is, he yeah. is a boy, you know? That's right. So I'm telling you, he's like, Oh, I get to be a skeleton. I'm doing it. <laughs> Crashing, breaking all my. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I know exactly what you're talking yep. about. Cause I would do the same thing. So I understand. It's all right, buddy. Yeah. All right. So now that, we need to get back to what we were initially talking <laughs> Hello, about. Tangent. Yes. Now let's in tangent. Okay. So the other way that you could become a Wendigo is to escape an attack by an already created monster. So if you get into a fight with a Wendigo, then if it is unable to eat you, if you're able to avoid that, but you get bitten or scratched, then you too will likely become a Wendigo. Now, this is much like a werewolf. Mm-hmm. If you if you remember back to our werewolf episode, and if you don't, go back and give it a listen. But if you get bit 
by a werewolf or scratched by a werewolf, now you're a werewolf. Yeah. And it's the same with a Wendigo. Yeah. And this is a good place to mention why the descriptions are so varied. Um, as, as Adam just mentioned, you know, you will turn into a Wendigo. I mean, it's not magic. You don't just blink and, hey, all of a sudden I'm a 20 foot tall skeletal figure with antlers. Right. It's it's a transition. Right. And the the reason that the, the descriptions vary so much is attributed to people seeing a human in in transformation. So it it looks still looks human, but not right. It's mm-hmm. much more much more gaunt, much more dead looking, you know, it's beginning to take the form of the full monster. Right. But it's not there yet. So when you see some descriptions of, you know, human-like with large teeth and, you know, it it, it, it crouches down and it, and it and it moves a certain way. And then you see a description of, a 20 foot tall ice skeleton with horns and, and the, this, you know, really horrifying, terrifying being, you think, are they talking about the same thing? Right. But, right. That can't be the same thing. But according to the, the legends, it, it, it's all about that transformation. It's all about this person was either, Stalked by a Wendigo, scratched or attacked, or this person gave into a cannibalistic urge, mm-hmm. you know, was was in a situation where they were fearful for their own life, that they were going to starve to death, and they they ate the flesh of one of the other people with them, and now they're beginning that transformation. Right. And another, uh, I don't have it in my notes because I only saw it in one place, but another way that you supposedly can become a Wendigo is if you dream often of the ice spirit yeah, or, you know, you dream often of, they said the North, which is basically, you know, same thing, the, the ice spirit or the demon. If you allow that into you too much in your unconscious, then you're basically marking yourself for transformation at that point. Yeah. And I've, I've got a story that, um, that I'm going to tell here in just a little bit that really goes into that. Good. That, that idea of the, the spirit speaking to you through dreams, something, you know, along those lines. So good. That'll be good. Um, so now many hunting parties of the different tribes in the area, um, that spoke about, Wendigos, they used to talk about how they would encounter these giant, dark, and evil-looking figures that were amongst the trees when they were out in the woods. They would talk about giant figures watching them from behind trees and from within caves or up high in the treetops. And they would report gigantic footprints in the earth that would lead into areas not often stepped upon. The dark figures sometimes would clash with these hunting parties, and it would cause them to run back to their camps to avoid becoming a Wendigo themselves. And it was because of these encounters that many Native Americans would avoid certain sections of the forest because they believed they belonged to the Wendigo. And that was an area that, you know, look, we'll just respect his boundaries. And if we respect his boundaries, 
then maybe he'll leave us alone too. When settlers were moving in to the North American region, they learned about the word Wendigo, and they would hear these stories from different Native American tribes that talked about this creature. So they began to incorporate this monster into their own stories. And the Wendigo soon moved out of the woods and into the logging camps on the outer edges of the forest. It slowly crept into newly built villages, and it moved from there into the dark swamps and into the cabins of these newly arrived settlers. And the Wendigo then became the official boogeyman of the new inhabitants of North America. So through hearing these stories, they you know, it kind of became part of their vernacular to either, like we were talking before, use it as a warning or a message to their children or to other people, or they started attributing every bump in the night and every everything to this Wendigo. Mm-hmm. Because as these stories started to get passed around to all these settlements, the people actually began to encounter the monster. So this makes me think back to our Tulpa episode where there was enough group thought on this one object that it then became a reality, a reality for them. And not only a reality, but a being that eventually was able to take on its own identity and control itself. Right. So there again, one of those head scratchers is Mm -hmm. which came first. The Wendigo or the belief in the Wendigo. Right. You know, but we'll leave that to another time and we'll leave that to your head to dive into because <laughs> yeah. that could take another hour and a half for us to get through <laughs> that. Um, now, the fear of unknown areas of the woods started to take hold for a lot of these new settlers. And they, like we said, they brought this into the fear of the unknown. So if something was unknown, they attributed to the Wendigo. Now, if someone, you know, came across a corpse of someone who happened to die in the woods, either disease, exposure, animal attack, whatever, they would blame a Wendigo. Now, if someone or multiple people went missing in the woods, it wasn't due to their own negligence of, you know, losing the path or, you know, something along those lines. It was because the Wendigo got them. And, if multiple deaths happened in a single town relatively close to one another, probably, you know, disease or something like that, it was because the Wendigo crept into the town during the night and killed them. Now, because of this, the monster was then thought of as like kind of harbinger of doom or death. And it was kind of like the modern day banshee of the North Woods. You know, people claimed that the Wendigo was floating into their houses to take the souls of the damned back with it. And others claimed that the monster was standing within the tree line on the edge of a village, just waiting and watching to bring them to their death. So talking about that, then that that kind of leads into this next little part. The these legends lend its name to what we now know as something called Wendigo psychosis. And this is 
considered by some psychiatrists to be a syndrome that creates an intense craving for human flesh or a fear of becoming a cannibal. Now, ironically, the psychosis is said to occur within people living around the Great Lakes area of Canada and the United States. Like Matt was saying, that's kind of where the Wendigos were, have been seen for hundreds of years and experienced for hundreds of years. It seems like this Wendigo psychosis takes hold of more people around the Great Lakes area. So if any of y'all are around the Great Lakes area, uh, be careful. Um, <laughs> just yeah, saying. That's right. You know, you or anybody you know could come down with Wendigo psychosis. That's right. Now, it usually develops more in the winter months. Um, that's when apparently the Wendigo becomes more powerful. And also apparently when this psychosis takes hold of people, they become to be, you know, delusioned. They have these thoughts of being transformed into this Wendigo and they start to see more and more people around them as being edible. And at the same time, though, they have this, you know, this uncontrollable fear of becoming a cannibal. Yeah, yeah. it's like uh, when Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck are stranded on the island. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he looks, he looks at Daffy Duck, and he looks like, uh, you know, a chicken leg sitting right. on a beach chair. Right. <laughs> Right. That's got that's kind of what it's talking about. Pretty much. Yeah. You start like, seeing your neighbor mm, as a pizza. You it know. looks pretty good over there. Yeah. <laughs> Put some barbecue sauce on him, he'd be all right. <laughs> For some reason, the way you were doing that, I just thought of that you sure do got a pretty mouth. Oh, <laughs> you ought not talk that yeah, way. I, You're just a boy. <laughs> Sorry. So <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but, but touching on the on the Wendigo psychosis, um, it, it's it, you know it, it's it's interesting because you know like Adam said as, as the fear that if I do this I'm going to become a Wendigo intensifies, it, it creates a panic, and they people worry if I do this once, my taste for flesh will will grow and and I I won't be able to control it you know this this can't be a one time thing and the Algonquin believed that the evil wendigo spirit was responsible for these urges that the the spirit was telling you 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 should do this you know you you should you should eat this flesh and once the human flesh had been tasted then now that person was beginning the transition right you know to 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 change into a full wendigo right and i don't an, another thing it reminded me of and and blame all this jumping back and forth on cold and flu medicine but um did you ever see the it's always sunny in philadelphia episode where charlie and d were stealing frank's meat and he tricked them into thinking that he fed them human meat. And so then they, they had this desire to eat meat again. And they, you know, they tried everything. They, they were trying all these different sorts of meats. They went down to every different, like Chinatown and, and Germantown and everything to get some of the more weird meats that they could. And they couldn't ever find anything, you know. And he's like, Charlie's like, I even licked a cat's fanny and it didn't do anything for me. <laughs> And so then they go to this morgue 
and they're thinking about trying to eat one of the bodies in the morgue, but they couldn't do it. Well, it turns out Frank fed them raccoon meat and they just had worms. But you know, that's the insatiable need for human meats. What that made me think of. You know, I haven't watched uh, It's Always Sunny because it, it wasn't on my radar when it was live. Oh, yeah. And so now trying to go back, it's like a buck ninety nine an episode. Man, I got you covered. I got them on DVD. <laughs> I got you covered, brother. You'll be fine. Awesome. <laughs> now I got to go find a DVD player. Yeah, right. <laughs> so the most common response when people like showed signs of this Wendigo psychosis was a curing attempt by traditional native healers. And in cases of the past, if these attempts failed and if the possessed person began to either threaten those around them or act violently and antisocially, they were executed. So, you know, you you had one of two options at that point. You either got better or they would kill you because they didn't want that in their village. Right. And, you know, there, there are stories of Wendigo psychosis, as we now call it, you know, dating back hundreds and hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's now looked upon, though, as there's this debate in the community, whether Wendigo psychosis is a legit thing mm-hmm. or not. You know, there's some psychiatrists that say, yeah, it's completely a legitimate disorder, yada, yada, yada. There's other ones that say, no, you're just pulling in symptoms of other disorders right. into this one. Right. And a lot of people feel like that it was just, it was an easy way to explain the behavior of an individual, you know, at that time. Right. You know, that it, it's easier to say that, you know, the Wendigo, the legend of the Wendigo is more attributed to mental illness than it is to an actual beast. Right. You know, so if I if I imagine this in my head or if I have an illness that causes me to believe that there's something telling me to go through with this, then I, I must I must be insane. Right. And And from the outside looking in. That wraps it all up in a nice little package, and everybody says, "Oh, yeah, he had Wendigo psychosis." Right, right. So you know, but yeah. again, this was this is all retrospective. Mm-hmm. You know, there there weren't psychologists running around in the eighteen hundreds going, oh, "This guy's got Wendigo psychosis." Right. You know, th- these are these are people that are looking back, you know, through the annals of history and and looking at these cases and saying, "This is mo- a, a good explanation for why this happened." Right. You know, I, I don't, you know, they're not, they're not looking at it like going, oh, the Donner party. Oh, well, that was a, you know, the Wendigo psychosis, mm-hmm. you know, it's not, but that's a good analogy of how this would happen. Right. It, it's you're, you're trapped and you're isolated and you begin to fear. I am going to die if I do not eat and the only thing I have to eat is this guy sitting next to me Mm -hmm. and whether I, the urge is so strong that I kill him to eat him or I wait until he dies either way, you know, it, it was still considered cannibalism. Right. And you know, it was, like I said, the, the the ultimate, the ultimate taboo, Mm -hmm. you know, the ultimate evil. Yeah. You know, so, uh, you know, looking back on, on these stories, you, you know, you can look at it and say, this must be what was going on. And, and you know, I'm sure, in, you know, in some cases it was just flat out survival. 
Yeah, sure. You know, if I don't do this, I'm going to die. Sure. You know, so again, it's not something that you can just wrap up and say, this is what was going on. But we are we are going to talk about a case that that was attributed to this. Right. But, you know, we fall into that trap ourselves when, like you said, when you look back on something and you're trying to explain something that happened two, three, four hundred years ago with our knowledge today. Mm -hmm. You know, we you and I fall into this trap a lot, too, when we try to explain something and we weren't there. It's a lot easier to say, no, that was a mental disorder. No, that was something that you made up Mm -hmm. sitting where we're sitting or sitting where the psychologist or psychiatrist are sitting and attribute a mental disorder to it, but they weren't going through it, yeah. you know? And I think a lot of times we do that with a lot of things yeah. when, when we don't need to, you know, it, sure. It may be, you know, you might be right, but yeah. how do you know, how do you for, know sure? for sure? And yeah, it, it's just like when we discuss the Salem witch trials, mm-hmm. It's easy to look back at that and say, that's a case of mass hysteria. Right. You know, everyone was scared. They didn't have the understanding that we do now. Right. And things that were different were were attacked. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yep. But these people obviously saw something. Right. You know, there was some really strange stuff going on. They didn't understand it. How? Who are we to say that we can understand something that happened two, three hundred years ago? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You know, so again, when we talk about this Wendigo psychosis, you know, it is all retrospective. It it is people going back and looking at history and trying to explain the events that happened when they weren't there. And, you know, when all you have is the written word, then that's what you have to you have to go on. Right. Because we don't we don't have anybody around today that was alive during some of these stories to go. No, this is what happened. We haven't developed time travel. So not yet, not yet. I'm hoping for it, but you know, talk to me again next Friday, right? There you go. Or, or actually talk to me again last Friday. Ah, that's (laughs) weird. All right. So we've been teasing this for a while now, Matt, you've got some stories for us and I'm looking forward to this. Okay. So, um, the story I'm going to, I'm going to tell is is the most famous Wendigo story and it, and it touches on most every aspect that we've discussed up to this point. This is the story of Swift Runner. Swift Runner was a respected Cree Indian uh, who resided in Fort Saskatchewan in Alberta, Canada. He worked as a tracker for the Royal Mounted Police, and he was very well liked. He was known to be a devoted husband and a family man. You know, he had many children. You know, everybody knew him. Everybody liked him. He was described as being a, a big man. He was over six feet tall, but very mild mannered. And he frequently traded with the local Hudson Bay Company. Um, so everybody knew him. Everybody liked him. Nobody was afraid of him. But during the winter of 1878-1879, Swift and his family became snowed in, cutting them off from all the surrounding civilization. However, when they go back and they and they look at where Swift Runner's encampment was, he was only about 25 miles from the nearest supply post. Now, in the snow in in 1878, 25 miles is a pretty long way. Shoot, it's a long way now. (laughs) 
That's right. <laughs> but when <laughs> when you're going to have to trek through, you know, Canadian snow, <laughs> you know, probably on foot, you know, it's a, it's a long way to get, but not impossible. Angelo, would you trek 25 miles in Canadian snow? <laughs> Hit me right. up. Yeah, come on. I want to know. Um, but but this is important that he was this close to one of the supply posts. When spring arrived, Swift returned without any of his family, and he dodged questions about their whereabouts, and his in-laws started to become suspicious. So they started asking questions, and eventually an investigation was started. So when authorities arrived at Swift, Swift Runner's home, what they found absolutely horrified them. The remains of his wife and children were scattered around the encampment. Many of the bones were sucked clean of the marrow. Mm. When questioned what happened, Swift stated that a Wendigo had eaten his family. Now, at first, Swift Runner explained that he had become haunted by these dreams during the winter. A Wendigo spirit had called on him to consume the people around him. The spirit crept in his mind and it gradually took control. And finally, he was the Wendigo. And Swift Runner, becoming the Wendigo, killed and ate his wife. Now, shortly after that, the Wendigo forced, and this is Swift Runner's story, one of his boys to kill and butcher his younger brother. And while Swift Runner was enjoying this feast, the spirit hung Swift Runner's infant by the neck from a large pole and tugged at his dangling feet until he was torn apart. It was later shown that he had also done away with Swift Runner's brother and his mother-in-law, which Swift Runner said she had been a little bit tough. <laughs> now, th- that is not a joke. That is in the, the written documentation of this story. You know, I'm so laughing, but, you know, it's, you know, it's kind of like, what does a Wendigo say when he's eating a clown? It just tastes kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> Where's my rim shot that's when my, I need it? That's my, that's my dad joke. There right you go. Right in there. Just, bah, gotcha. So <laughs> the, the. The mounted police were absolutely revolted. And so they arrested Swift Runner and they took all of the evidence of his mutilated family back to Fort Saskatchewan. They put him on trial on August 8th of 1879. The judge and the jury did not see that this Wendigo idea really jibbed with what had happened. And they saw him as a murderer. And why I said that 25-mile trek to the supply post was important, Mm -hmm. being that close kind of made them look at Swift Runner to say, you were close enough to be able to get food. So even if you were starving, you you, you didn't have to kill your entire family and eat them. However, many of the members of the Cree tribe believed Swift Runner, and they pleaded with the judge to to understand his story and to set him free. But in the end, he wasn't convinced. And so Swift Runner was convicted and he was sentenced to be hanged. So they erected a gallows 
within the enclosure at Fort Saskatchewan, an old army pensioner named Rogers was made the hangman. And on that morning, on December 20th, Swift Runner was hanged for the murder of his wife, his children, his brother, and his mother-in-law. Okay. Now, this story is, is so crucial to the story of the Wendigo because it's so well documented. Right. And Swift Runner openly admitted that he did this. He did not deny it in any way, but he esp- expressly said, this was the Wendigo, not me, mm-hmm. that I was possessed by the Wendigo to do this. And the Wendigo did it, not me. And like I said, the, the Cree tribe believed him because of their belief in the Wendigo. They understood that this could happen, and he met the criteria. He was isolated. It was winter. He was alone. And that idea that there's something telling me in my head that I have to do this. I don't want to do this, but I have to. Right. I have to do it. But I'm afraid to do it because once I do it, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to begin to change. And my lust for human flesh is going to grow. Mm-hmm. And the rest of my family is going to be in danger. But once it happened, what you would have expected happened. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he, he killed his entire family. And not only did he kill them, he ate them. Mm-hmm. You know, so like I said, the, this story is well documented. If if you can't search for the Wendigo without coming across this story, um, it, it is the most famous. Um, but, you know, it happened in 1879. Yeah. So fairly recent in the history of, you know. Yeah. The, the North America and yeah. written culture and all that. Many of the other stories are very folklorish. Um, I did read one story that was about a young Native American girl um, who was who lived in a in an isolated area. It, it was wooded. Um, you know, they weren't like wilderness people, but they they chose to live separate from civilization, but had access to you right. know you know the common goods and, and things like that. I mean, they, they weren't, they just lived on the outside of town. Someplace I'd like to live. Yeah. You know, just as, as people would say nowadays off the grid. And this little girl was traveling in the woods, you know, walking around playing like kids do exploring. And she heard something. She saw something move and she wasn't sure what it was, but she felt enough to be afraid of it. And so as she, tried to slowly get away. She could tell this, this thing moving in the woods was moving with her. So then she began to get frightened and she was really scared and she wasn't sure if she could find her way home. But then she heard something that should have alleviated her fear. It was her mother's voice. Uh. She heard her mother's voice calling to her, telling her that everything was fine, that she was here and to come, come to her, come into the woods you know, everyone is fine. We're, we're here. We're here for you. Mm-hmm. But there was something wrong. In fact, the, descri- the description says it, the voice sounded, sounded slower. You know, it was, it was obviously the tone of her mother's voice, but it wasn't the same. So she said, I'm not, I'm not going to go. Right. And so she ran. She ran and she ran and she made it home. 
She never said anything about it. Years later, once she was a little bit older, she said something to her mother about it. And her mother looks down and says, I didn't want to tell you this when you were a child, but you met a Wendigo and you running saved your life. Mm-hmm. Now, again, doesn't that, doesn't that sound like, you know, the story of, you know, you would, you would tell like in elementary school, you know, you gathered around, you know, a sleepover and everybody's got blankets and flashlights and you're telling this story, you know, and, and my aunt, she said, I ran and ran when I heard the, my mother's voice coming from the woods. It does. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there, there is a lot of folklore in this. You know, you just, you can't avoid it. I mean, these stories, they just, they just sound like they're, they're stories. And, right. you know, Adam and I have talked about that at length already. Um, you know, so it, it's something else that makes Swift Runner's story so impelling, so compelling is because it's documented history that this really happened, you know, and it's not just folklore. Right. But we're going to, and, you know, and Adam said this was, this was not, you know, ancient history. I mean, this, you know, just. Not even 200 years ago. We're going to, we're going to get, uh, we're going to get closer than 200 years. What? We're going to get, uh, how about two years? I'll take that. Two, two years, two years ago. Um, a story of the Wendigo. I have to give credit where this story came from. Um, this story was submitted to the show Strange But True. And although some of the names in there are mentioned, the, the storyteller does not give his name. So for the sake of, uh, of the story, we're, we're going to call him Paul. Okay. Why wouldn't um, you call him Adam? Well, cause that would be weird. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. All right. Paul it is. Yeah. Cause I sure as heck ain't going to call him Matt. I can tell you <laughs> right. that right now. So Matt said, so we're going to, we're going to call him, we're going to call him Paul. This event occurred on in the, in April of 2016 on a plot of hunting land just outside Richland Center, Wisconsin. Paul and his father were on a trip to a hunting cabin owned by his father's friend, James. They were there to help James, James's friend, George, and George's son, Elliot, chop firewood to stock up for the upcoming hunting season. After spending the day cutting wood, Paul and Elliot made their way back to the cabin. Paul notes that on the walk back, the woods were strangely silent with no wildlife present. Paul relates that that night, the men had enjoyed a dinner of frozen pizza and soon retired to bed, preparing for another day of hard work. Paul says he had fallen asleep on the couch instead of in his bunk. During the night, Paul says he awoke to go to the bathroom. On his way there, he glanced through the blinds out into the woods. It was then that he noticed a face in the bushes staring into the window. As he looked, He noted it was squatted down with its long, spindly arms on the ground, much like a frog. Paul kept trying to keep a watch on the creature, but turned away briefly, only to find that when he looked back, the creature was no longer there. So, obviously shaken, Paul returned to the couch, buried his face in the cushions, and tried to forget about what he had seen. The next day, the men got up to eat breakfast. But Paul kept what he had seen to himself. While walking to the tree line to cut more wood, 
the men came across a large pool of blood. They found a coyote impaled on a tree branch with its entrails pulled out and dangling to the ground. James believed that it was the actions of a neighboring landowner who had been disputing the property line trying to scare James away. But after talking to the neighbor, the men learned that animals on his land had been killed in the same manner. Dogs, goats, horses were all mutilated. They agreed that no animal could have done this. Right. Yeah, because animals don't typically impale other animals. No, they killed and they eat it. Yeah, that's right. And they don't destroy it. They don't completely rip it to shreds either. Right. You know, they, they eat what part they would eat and they leave it. And that's it. You know, they don't play with it. They don't string it around either. So after calling the police, the men were outside the cabin. Paul walked over to the fence behind the cabin to relieve himself. When he had finished, he looked up to find the creature from the night before staring at him from the other side of the fence. Paul describes the creature's eyes as glassy black that showed his reflection, and he felt frozen in his spot, unable to move. When James approached, he too saw the creature and shouted, picking up one of the axes for chopping wood. Paul says the creature turned to look at James, and he suddenly felt like he could move again. So he he crawled away. He got away as fast as he could. The creature let out this horrifying scream, which... I'm paraphrasing this story, um, so I'm not just reading it verbatim, but the story reads that it sounded like, you know, somebody trying to skin a cat, you know, just this high-pitched screech wail scream. James shouted to the men to get into their vehicles and drive. So while speeding away, Paul says he stopped for some reason and looked back only to see the Wendigo running with inhuman speed towards the car. He hit the gas, and he did not stop until he reached a local bar a few miles from the cabin, meeting up with the other men. The police did later go up to the cabin site and search the area around it, but found nothing of of any consequence. All in all, that sounds like a pretty good story, that, you know... This guy, he, he felt like this was a Wendigo that he came across based on, you know, what he later went back and researched. Mm-hmm. But the story goes on and, you know, like I said, we'll call him Paul. So Paul explains that he, he, he really did not want to talk about this at all. And whenever his father would talk to him about what exactly he saw up there, He said, it's probably best that you don't know. But in a later uh, submission to Strange But True, Paul has a follow-up to this story. And he says, you know, months after that, him and his father were talking. And his father essentially tells him, I think I know what you saw up there. And he says that his older brother used to hunt up there and had very similar reports, but had seen it multiple times. And that even one time he was in a tree stand and looked down and the thing was crawling up the tree stand toward him. Wow. Now 
the curious thing about this story is that this would be Paul's uncle. So his his father, uh, his father's brother had committed suicide. And Paul explains that his father felt like that the many instances where he had come across this creature drove him insane. Right. And it led to his eventual suicide. So again, we're, we're touching on something that Adam, you know, mentioned before that there was this idea that it was better to kill yourself than to allow yourself to transform into a Wendigo mm-hmm. and and be a danger to family and friends and people right. around you. So this story doesn't say that explicitly, but you know it it's very curious that you know 150 some odd years after the story of Swift Runner, a very similar story about you know a Wendigo has a lot of the same overtone. Right. And it kind of leads uh, to that, what we were talking about, where the Native Americans believed that it had its own spot yeah. in the wood. It, you know, this area is the Wendigo's area, so we don't go there. Right. So with Paul seeing it multiple times, mm-hmm. you know, two days in a row and then months later in the same spot, and his uncle then, you know, seeing yeah. it in the same spot, it kind of lends credence to the fact that that was that Wendigo's territory. Yeah. This is where the story takes an odd turn. So after talking to his father, Paul decides he's going to go back. And so he goes back up to the cabin and he sets up a, a, a tree stand and he describes his, his the gear that he takes. He, he describes this um, this hunting knife that that he takes along with him and this particular type of camouflage that's used, you know, at night. And he goes up there and he gets the stand set up and he's he comes across a barbed wire fence and he's going, you know, under the fence and he gets to the other side and he freezes. And he says at that distance, he sees the creature. He sees the Wendigo. But he says it doesn't see him necessarily. And he said the it was still and it was looking down the path and he was off to one side. And he said he felt that I'm frozen again, that, mm-hmm. that he couldn't move. I mean, he was just he was terrified. And so as he's watching this creature, which he describes again as this large, uh, thin, you know, skeletal type creature with these these glassy black eyes standing there he starts to try to get away and as he moves he he tries to get back under the barbed wire fence and he scrapes a rock or or the post of the mm-hmm. fence and he said he sees the the wendigo's head instantly snap and look right at him and so he just he freezes and he thinks I'm dead. I'm I'm laying here on the mm-hmm. ground. I'm I'm dead meat. But he says it doesn't move. It just looks at him. And then it turns and looks back down the path, never moving. So he said quickly he just got under that fence and began to move and he said he was he was thankful that the, it had rained and the ground and the leaves were wet. So 
He wasn't crunching. And he said he watched every step he took to make sure he didn't step on a twig Mm -hmm. or anything that was going to make noise. So he said he gets back to his tree stand. And this is where I begin to think, why in God's name did you do all this? Yeah, no crap. This is what he describes that he did. He starts to go up into the stand to retrieve the seat cushion that's on his stand. So I guess these things are pretty high dollar. I mean, it's me. Yeah. Seat cushion. I'd have done see you later. It. Yep. <laughs> I could buy another. Right. But anyway, this is what he does. And he said it it's Velcroed on. And he said, so he thought at the time he could pull it off and it, and it wouldn't be something that would be heard, you know, below the ladder. So he pulls the seat cushion and he makes his way down. And when he gets to the bottom of the ladder, he turns and the Wendigo is bam, right there mm. in front of him. And he describes that he, he just instinctively pulls his knife and the, the Wendigo has this guttural roar that he describes as it saying no to him. Now, you know, no could, could be anything, you know, it could be just a roar, but this is what he is, his story. He's going to tell it like he wants. So this is what he says happens. He said, instinctively, he just swiped at its head. He didn't know if he hit it or not, or, you know, if he actually managed to cut it or make contact, he swiped and ran and he ran as fast as he could. In fact, his words were, Usain Bolt had nothing on me. (laughs) He said he ran and he got all the way back to the cabin where some of the other guys were there. And he said he went in and the guys were looking at him like, what is wrong with you, man? And he said, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. But later... He said when he invested, when he uh, inspected his knife, he found this black, crusty material that he was able to scrape into a Ziploc bag and hopefully, you know, have, you know, somebody from, you know, the forestry department actually analyze it and see if they could attribute it to an actual known creature. Yeah. Now, Pre-sap maybe. At, at that point, you know, there, there's no more story. Right. So it, it does... It does take some turns because you got to think, I mean, I'm as curious as the next guy, but if I've seen this thing twice and I think it's in those woods, I'm not going back. Nope. I mean, you know, I'm interested in this stuff. I'm serious. I I, want to know about it. I I don't want to come across some of these things we talk about in person. Right. You know, especially something that could turn me into a cannibal right. or just decide it's going to eat me for lunch. Right. And you know, you know, if you do I, I look, go back, I look like a tasty morsel. I know. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, if, if you do go back, you know, take something heavier duty than a knife. Right. You know, a I mean, shotgun. Yeah. If he's a hunter and he's got a tree stand, you know, he's got a 30 six or a 12 gauge or something. Take one of those with you, you know, protect yourself. But yeah, yeah I mean that. Like you said, why would you go back for a, a seat cushion? Yeah. You can go back the next day, whatever, but dang. But the reason I chose this story to share is because so many of these stories that they they, they sound good, you know, you think, ah, somebody could have made that up. Ah, it may be real. Oh, there's bound to be some truth in there. They, he saw something. Something had them all scared. There's too many people involved. You know. Those stories are great. And typically when Adam and I are telling these stories, they're from like 1950. Right. You know, you know, 1925, this happened. This happened in 2016. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is recent. So 
it, that alone made me say, yeah, I think this story is worth is worth telling. Sure. You know, so again, like we say on this show all the time, you can believe it. You don't have to believe it. We're not telling you to believe it. I'm not even sure I believe it. But, um, you know, for somebody that didn't do a whole lot of research into this um, and then sees something in the woods and and then researches it and says, I think I saw a Wendigo. Mm-hmm. You know, it makes a pretty good story. And and the fact that when people share stories like this, it's easy to say they re- re- remained anonymous because it's not true. Well, okay. But on the flip side of that coin, there's a lot of people that could say, well, they remained anonymous because they didn't want that kind of attention. Right. Which you know, kind of makes it a little more legit. When you put yourself out there and you're going to say, I, my name is Joe Schmo, and I think I encountered a Wendigo in these woods. You're, you're, you're risking being the laughing stock. You're risking not being invited back to the hunting camp. Right. You know, so, you know, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to, how to feel about this. You know, it, it's really strange. Like I said, there's a lot of folklore that that's about it. So it it's easy to just dismiss and say, this is just some really good ghost stories, some mm-hmm. really good stories about some creepy monsters to scare some kids and to keep them from, you know, eating their neighbor. Could be. Could be more to it than that. Oh, sure. So um, we'll let you decide. You know, uh, we, d- we dug pretty deep on this thing. Um, you know, maybe you guys can dig a little bit deeper. Um, I know, I know this, the pictures that you can find mm-hmm. of this thing, they're horrifying enough. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, it doesn't matter what version somebody draws. They're pretty, they're pretty scary. Yep. And if y'all live up around the Great Lakes region, um, any stories that y'all know of that maybe we didn't cover that you've heard from, you know, either your grandparents or great grandparents telling or, you know, anything like that, any local lore that you've heard, if you live up around that way, let us know, you know, uh, post it in our Facebook group, tell us about it. But, you know, it's one of those things, you know, like Matt was saying, it's just, it's a, it's a horrifying deal and, you know, it intrigued us and we wanted to share it with you guys. Yeah. So join us in our Facebook group. Um, we share a lot of these photographs in there. We do a lot of talking about what's coming up on episodes. So if, if you're a listener and you like the show, hop in that Facebook group. It's Graveyard Tales uh, on Facebook. You know, we'll approve you to get in there. We want as many people as we can. That way you can get some uh, some interaction with the two of us and uh, with all of our other listeners. Because I'm telling you, we got some great folks in this group that share some really incredible content um adam and i would like to be able to take all the credit for the cool stuff that's in there but we can't we have to credit our listeners and the Mm -hmm. members of our group so it's a lot of fun it's fantastic and pretty much every day something new pops up in there that uh, i guarantee you if you like this stuff it'll pique your interest right and like matt was saying you know the the credit for the group goes to the listeners and everybody in the group because the graveyard is what it is because of you guys. Um, that goes for, you know, the the show that we're putting on to the the community that we have on Facebook and Twitter. 
the graveyard is you guys and it's for you guys. And it's, you know, like we were saying, it's a safe space for you guys to come and tell your stories and nobody's going to look down their nose at you or tell you you're a weirdo or anything. You know, I mean, y'all can tell us we're weirdos all you want to because yeah, we know it. Because we are. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we we want more people in there so that we get more interaction and that we can, you know, we have a good time and share it with a lot of people. So, you know, invite friends into it and yeah. get them in there. You know, let, let's grow it and let's keep growing the show if you... Uh, you know, if you're online, get on iTunes, give us a rating on iTunes. We, we would really appreciate that. Yep. It does a whole lot of good for us uh, because it allows more people to see us and it allows us to be able to keep doing what we're doing. And it's just a simple click, That's right. you know, click, click the rating there. You can type a little something out if you want to. That's even better. But if not, just a little click and you're yep. done. Yep. And if, as y'all can hear, Adam's voice is beginning to crack. Yes, it is. So I'm going to wrap this up. Y'all have a good night. We'll see you next time. <laughs>